Stooping Starlight presents The Scarlet Woman Speaks on the Winter Solstice Anno B.I. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Welcome to our second podcast. To those of you who are returning, and a special warm welcome to those who are tuning in for the first time. With this episode, we also invite you to continue the discussion on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Stooping Starlight. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topics. First out, an interview with Towisteria by Crystal Lal. Well, should be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. Please join me in welcoming Ta Austeria and her interview for Stooping Starlight. My name is Crystal Lull, and I'm the body master for Star Babylon Encampment. I wanted to take this opportunity to ask Ta Austeria a little about the Gnostic Mass, Babylon, and her perspective on the Great Whore. Thank you for having me. So, uh, let's start with some intro questions. So, how long have you been in the order? Well, I have my 20-year anniversary of having joined OTO next month. So I took my Minerval initiation at Alistair Crowley Oasis in East Chicago in 1995. Uh, that body is now closed, but um, I was in a group of about 12 people, and I think two of us have survived. Uh, and when you were in that local body, did they have the, the, the Gnostic Mass? Were you a part of that then? The body I initiated through was Black Sun Oasis at the time, and we ro- they had a culture of road tripping in the Midwest, so the ceremony took place at Alistair Crowley Oasis, but I was a member of Black Sun Oasis. And, uh, yeah, they, both bodies did masses. Oh, that's nice. Were there a lot of women involved in both bodies then, or were you the only woman? I was one of two women at the time at Black Sun, and uh, I don't know how many women Alistair Crowley Oasis had. They had at least one, though. So when you went to a mass, was there always the one same priestess? Um, initially, I did my I saw my first mass at Black Sun Oasis in Akron, and it was at the Body Master and Treasurer's Attic, and um, they were a couple. So it was the treasurer who was priestess, and um, that was my introduction to the mass in that wonderful little tight hot space. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know after you saw your first Mass that you wanted to do Priestess immediately? Mm-hmm. or? Yeah, so I, I saw the Mass. I thought it was really beautiful, and I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I was very sure I wanted to undertake that role. Uh, after you saw the Mass and you knew that you wanted to participate in it, what was it exactly that made you want to actively pursue the role of Priestess? Well, as soon as I saw that Mass, I knew I wanted to be part of it. I thought it was really beautiful, and I knew instantly I wanted to undertake that role. Um, I don't know if I ever had a call per se, but I I was very much connected to the energy of the Mass and in particular the invocation of the night sky, which is, you know, maybe something I didn't understand at the time, the whole cosmology of Nuit, Hadith, and Rahor Kuit. But certainly I had uh, dabbled a bit in amateur astronomy and uh, Carl Sagan is one of my personal heroes. (laughs) So uh, 
and has been since I was seven. So uh, this whole infinite space and infinite stars aspect really connected to me. Okay, so here's a, a different side of the question. So aside from new wheat, um, there's this concept or of the Scarlet Woman. Is there any connection for you for the Scarlet Woman and the EGC at all? Well, um, you know, my journey with experiencing this idea of the archetype or the office of Scarlet Woman has developed and changed over the years. Long ago, I had a Thelemic boyfriend, and he would refer to me as his Scarlet Woman. So that was kind of my introduction. I didn't really, uh, I hadn't studied Thelema at that point. It was just dating a Thelemite, basically. So but when he called you your when he called you his scarlet woman, what did that mean for you then? It sounded like a romanticized sexual label to me. So it, it, I know it meant something spiritual to him, but for me it just sound, it sounded, you know, like a like a pet name. You know, it, it, it you know, it had it had kind of a, you know, it certainly feels like a title, like a title. And yeah. it didn't did you have any understanding of the scarlet woman at that time? Um, did it feel like ownership or a job? No, it, it, I had really no idea what it meant, but uh, I kind of initially thought it might be what a Thelemite man would call his female lover. But it didn't, okay. you know, at that point, I didn't have any baggage or anything associated with it. And, okay. And he's still a good friend, so <laughs> so it all it's all okay. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but in learning more, I initially found references to the Scarlet Woman by reading the Book of the Law, and uh, she sounded confident, shameless, and sexual person. Um, I didn't really understand the whole kill your heart business and uh, toying with old sweetnesses and a lot of other things uh, we interpret about how the Scarlet Woman is supposed to behave as is written in the Book of the Law. Yeah. But uh, further study also led me to the idea of the Scarlet Woman as an office. Yes, I was just going to ask about that. You use the word office specifically. What do you mean by an office? Um, as the counterpart to the Great Beast, who we know is Crowley. So it's... it's um, yeah, it, it also depends on uh, what texts you're reading. I think you know, Crowley certainly used this title of Scarlet Woman for some of his lovers, indicating that they were uh, more than sex magic partners, but spiritual partners in a way. Regarding this idea of the office of Scarlet Woman, uh, Crowley assigned that title to some of his female magical lovers. And when you read it, you seem to kind of understand it as a magical office. And this is kind of being... I don't know if Crowley called it an office, quote unquote, with quotation marks ever, but it reads that way to me. But it's feminine counterpart of the B666. And the office occasionally changed as Crowley changed his lovers. I, for instance, um, there was a working, a sex magic working of some kind with Roddy Minor, who was one of the outgoing Scarlet Women that undertook changed to Leah Hersick, who was the incoming Scarlet Woman. And, of course, we all note that the office of the Great Beast never changes. You know, so it's, uh, it seems very particular to Crowley's spiritual path rather than theirs when you look at this office of Scarlet Woman. Okay, so it's less, <clears throat> excuse me, it's less about the women on a particular path or working a particular energy, but more being joined with Crowley. I think that may be ungenerous to say because we don't really have as thorough a magical record for any of his Scarlet Women. We don't know if they had an office for him or if they agreed he was the B666. We don't know as much about what their spiritual journeys were. Um, 
you know, we have like years and years of diaries from Crowley and some of the Scarlet women have left diaries, but uh, a lot of that's, I mean, but some of it is just lost or, or in possession of you know, people outside the OTO, so we haven't been able to review that content. Okay. I hear people talk about women working with the energy of the Scarlet Woman, but I don't hear men talking about working with the energy of the beast, of the great beast. Um, I would agree that I haven't heard a lot of that either. And so for some, there was a question of, can you separate the Scarlet Woman from the great beast? And if women want to work with the energy or do some pathworking with the Scarlet Woman, um, but it must be connected with somehow the great beast. But because it was a, air quotes, office with Crowley, that doesn't seem, maybe it's a different energy. Well, there's also different references to the Scarlet Woman. For instance, um, the Book of the Law doesn't really talk about them working together. You know, you have all those chapters which talk about, you know, let the Scarlet Woman beware of pity and tenderness fill her heart. There's nothing in that section that talks about her work with the Great Beast as well. Right. Of right. the Book of the Law. So that's independent. And if you read Lieber Keth, it talks about Babylon and the Scarlet Woman together as one being, and that doesn't mention the Beast at all in Lieber Keth. Except she rides the Beast. But, you know, again, this I feel like the Scarlet Woman can be interpreted several ways. And so there's this idea of office where Crowley was doing his personal work with the Scarlet Women. And then there's this idea of the archetype of the Scarlet Woman, which I think is more what's referred to in the Book of the Law, rather than these people who were undertaking this work. Actual people in positions. Yes. It's more the energy or idea. Yeah. Okay. For instance, you, you don't really have the office of Great Beast in the OTO today or the office of Scarlet Woman. That seems just strictly unique to Crowley. It depends on which emails you get. This is true. <laughs> Some people yeah, get there, emails there are, from there the are Great people Beast. Who are, I've, I've, I have heard from several Great Beasts <laughs> in my day as a body master and also from many Scarlet Women. So, yes. yeah, so it is yeah. certainly still out there. But as far as like the OTO recognizing that yes. as a thing, that, that seems to be specifically tied to Crowley's personal work. Okay. But as a spiritual concept, uh, the Scarlet Woman is certainly an idea many Thelemic women connect with. Um, these ideas of sexual freedom and shamelessness and pride and uh, passionate motherhood. It's a force, she's a force who cannot be tamed. In some ways, she's kind of a personified, humanized form of Babylon. So like this, I would consider the Scarlet Woman is more accessible than Babylon if you're kind of going up the chain of what those energies are. Here's a question that I have a personal opinion on, but I think it would be nice to have said out loud. For all women who join the OTO, is it expected of them that they should work with this energy, that they should take on the role of Scarlet Women? Women in the OTO should be discovering their true will, whatever that is. There is no need to explore that unless that is part of what they choose to do. It's one of the things that attracts a lot of women to Thelema, is this idea we have a place where you can be this bold, shameless, sexually free, untamed female energy, but it's certainly not the only way to wear female energy. It's maybe the most dramatic way, because uh, some of us are more quiet, but I, I can't say that I've ever been particularly interested in being a scarlet woman as I understand it from the Book of the Law. I don't want to kill my heart. I, I'm a compassionate person. I can have pity on people. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think most women in the order with some time, they explore facets of that energy. Okay. 
I think it's important to say that if a woman does decide to work with that, that energy, that she still reserves all right to do with that energy as she will. That, that, that at no time is she ever giving up consent. No. If she chooses to be uh, a scarlet woman for these men and women, that does not mean that she is sharing that with all men and women. That consent is still required. Well, working with the energy of scarlet woman does not mean you have no boundaries. You know, we're, we're, we're still bound by being human and whatever we bring from our own lives into the experience and also whatever reason the woman is working with that energy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, she is uh, she might be trying to break through boundaries, but she may not want to do it in the way that people expect her to. So, Very nice. yeah. So, uh, you know, one person's interpretation of the Scarlet Woman and how she should behave may be very different than the person who is working with that energy. Very true. Lots of different interpretations of how things should be incorporated and worked. I mean, this, it is, it's ultimately a myth in Thelema that Thelemic women are Scarlet women and are supposed to behave in this way. And, and typically I see it mostly described as sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, I, women who want to work the work of wickedness, however you want to interpret that, that tends to be much less popular. I wonder why. Yeah, so, I mean, I think as a community, we often romanticize the sexual aspects of the Scarlet Woman, mm-hmm. and that's what most people think of. But, you know, this boldness, shamelessness, uh, outspokenness of the Scarlet Woman. Uh, women like that through society are always trying to be shut up. Yes, and still are. Yes, and uh, we're almost more willing to accept the sexual nature than we are willing to tolerate the uppityness of the Scarlet Woman. Oh, yes, the bitchiness. Yes. Yes. Something about Babylon and the Scarlet Woman. Are they one and the same? Are they different? Again, it kind of depends on what text you're reading. If you read Lieber Heth, uh, they are equated with each other. Mm -hmm. The Scarlet Woman is Babylon. Babylon is the Scarlet Woman. But again, as I mentioned, Babylon does not appear in the Book of the Law. The Scarlet Woman does. So that's a place where they are not together. So what makes them, for you, what makes them separate? Well, Babylon, first of all, is a repurposed villainess from the Book of Revelation that we have transformed into a goddess in our own theology. And certainly, um, Borrowed gods and goddesses are a thing in many religions. Yes. <laughs> so we, we've, uh, but we've elevated her to the status of the great whore and uh, made something bad into something good and desirable. So that's one first thing is we've kind of taken this idea from the book of Revelation and twisted it into our own thing. Mm-hmm. And made it better. And made it better, yes. So um, what about Babylon the great whore? Well, Again, taking something that was bad and looked at negatively into something that was good and made better. Well, my take on Babylon has has changed a lot over the years. Yes, sir, sure, there's this idea of the, the great whore and this sexual energy, and she accepts all and refuses none. And that, that seems kind of one-dimensional for such a complex goddess. But again, if someone reads Lieber Hep, Babylon is a very dark goddess for me. How is she dark? Uh, she's all about. Because no one ever talks about Babylon being dark. People talk. Men and women talk about Babylon being, uh, well, fierce and passionate and sexy. And uh, she has those qualities, but you know, she she is trying to draw us in so that she can dissolve us all into her grail. I mean, it's that's what she carries as the blood of the saints, and we're all going there eventually. 
you know, and and again, Lieber Heth, if, if you read it, has just it's it's not like a happy, sexy, holy book. It's very much about unraveling yourself and giving up everything and uh, and the joy of oblivion to some extent for me and embracing that. You know, it, it very uh, Babylon begs us to let go of the ego, but there's no reward for doing it at the end. Right. You know, it, it's it's its own work. Dissolving the ego is how we reabsorb back into the body of Nuit. Why would it be Babylon's job to disrupt lineages? Why does Babylon take on the role of removing the, the knowledge of the father? How does that disrupt society? One of the roles of Babylon is uh, she's despised because she makes sure that you don't know who your father is. And that's very dangerous to patriarchal societies. You have property transferring along bloodlines, particularly male bloodlines. You have um, leadership transferring through male bloodlines like kings and queens, um, but particularly with kings. I mean, even up until a couple of years ago, the, the royal family in the United Kingdom was still giving preference for lineage to go to the male heir over a female heir, despite despite where they might be in birth order. Mm-hmm. So that, that like just changed recently. Um, so this, this kind of thing is still going on. And uh, patriarchy has a preference for this male energy. But what Babylon does is uh, you do not know who your father is. It changes everything in society. Um, and that's one of her jobs is to disrupt these bloodlines so that we can lose control over that. Babylon is also very tied to me for evolution. Oh, how is that? Well, we can always trace the mother through the mitochondrial DNA, but uh, Babylon is a force that works through evolution by making sure we made outside where our uh, society would have us mate. She's the one who gives us the desire to cheat on our spouse or makes the exotic foreigner sexually attractive to us. She is that force, which a biological force that is necessary in order to keep the bloodlines and humanity healthy, to keep the evolution of humanity bringing change into the equation. The knowledge continuing from generation unto generation for me is very much sort of echoed in that mitochondrial DNA and how we can always trace the progression of evolution through the mother, but we can't trace it through the father. And the patriarchy doesn't like that. I think a lot of the external patriarchal thing is a reaction to their real powerlessness when it comes to the woman's control of the bloodline, that, mm-hmm. that feminine energy. That's, evolution is a feminine force. It's not a masculine force. Really? Yeah. Well, that's my take on it, obviously. Okay. Well, yes. <laughs> but I had not really tied that to Babylon before. That's very interesting and beautiful. It changes that's everything nice. society when you don't know who your father is. Yes. Inheritance breaks down. <laughs> uh, your responsibility to your children changes. For the father, it does, yes. not for the mother. True, but uh, it still changes everything. You know, we ha- we have we are forced to make laws about these things in our society because it's an uncontrollable form of energy. I don't know. That's interesting, though. I feel like still in at, in twenty fifteen, we in the United States anyway, we have a lot of energy in our government still trying to control the rights of women and control how they procreate, whether or not they can get access to 
birth control. And there are laws about that in our country about that. And that's something that's not necessarily about, you know, ancient lineages. And Mm -hmm. it's it's still happening today. So there is a way to connect the how uh, not knowing who your father is and procreating are are still connected to that. I I think that's maybe like the primal fear under it is... uh... You know, I mean, animals do things like this, too. Like a, a male lion will kill a, another right, lion's exactly. cubs. And that, exactly. that's, I'd say, it's also another form of Babylon energy, one of the darker forms. Yeah. Yeah, but as far as American society, yeah, we have plenty of laws on female bodies and very few on male bodies. And uh, people are still afraid of the whore and they still well, yes, despise the Corporations in our country have a lot more rights than my uterus. That's very interesting, yeah about Babylon being tied to evolution and how her effect on society is still very much felt. It's not just an archetype or not just a goddess that we have reformulated and reworded uh, to be contrary to Catholicism or Christianity or Judaism. It's it's something that you can see if you change your perspective a little bit, how it, it really still does have an effect on our society. Um, but I, I started this talk with you about the, the Gnostic Mass and your introduction to it. So if I could, I would like to try to come around and try to connect Babylon and uh, women and, and the Gnostic Mass. All right. So I have a couple questions for you. So for one, in one of the 11 collects, only the male saints are named. And there's some discussion back and forth about why there are only male saints being named. But can you elaborate on, for those who are newer to the order, for example, why there would only be male saints named? Why are there no women saints? Well, first of all, Crowley wrote the Gnostic Mass and didn't leave us anything regarding the symbolism of the Gnostic Mass. So anything you hear as a response to this question is always going to be unofficial just because we do not have official symbolic reasoning for any of the Mass at all. A common interpretation is the function of this collect is to boost the energy of the priest. The Collect is calling upon these male archetypes and gods and individuals from the past that embodied this energy to boost the priest's energy so that he can get through the consecration of the elements to the culminating moment in the Hriliut. And this also ties to the idea of when the priestess comes out from behind the veil and, and says, greeting of earth and heaven, she, is she already divine? For a lot of people, the priestess is already divine. She doesn't need that sort of uh, Pepperelli. Bo- I was going to yeah, ask. Yeah, she doesn't need that boosting she doesn't get energy. Pepperelli. Why doesn't she get her cheerleader? Yeah, well, it's kind of, <laughs> again, this is one interpretation. Yeah, cheerleader doesn't sound as noble as I'm sure most priests experience <laughs> that part of the mass. Okay, but. sure, sure. That's fair. I apologize. <laughs> but that is a, a common uh, interpretation of that symbolism. And it's another way of interpreting the continuing knowledge from generation into generation. So for the collect that uh, a woman is named, she's really only referred to as one who gives birth. What about those women who either choose not to give birth or cannot give birth? Well, I would like to first point out there's not a collect for men explicitly either. There's this collect that's uh, invoking male energy, but there's not one that's referring directly to men as as office of things males do. But this one is referring to an office that females do, that men cannot. But it, it, it depends on how you want to approach the collects, because birth goes with death. You okay, so it, birth balances death? Yeah, I mean, I don't see it. And then we have, like, the principles, the energies. I, 
and then we finish with the end. So um, I, I see that more as a, yeah, as, as that would be where the balance point is in that collect, rather than Crowley specifically, you know, it could be his choice of words as that's what he chose to concentrate on for the idea of birth, because that's how birth happens, at least yes. for mammals. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, could he have said something different and, and not have it appear so sexist? He could have perhaps written something different. Okay. But he does call birth the frontal duty of womankind, which... He sure does. Which is irritating to many of us. Yes, it sure is. Speaking of the Mass, when, especially since this is during Massapalooza, I've seen quite a few different priestesses, which is really beautiful. But there's a common commentary. If, if you see a Mass where the priestess seems to be exuding a lot of sexual energy, that she's very passionate in, in, in the energy that she's portraying, a lot of people will talk about... Wow, that was really a lot of Babylon energy, but not Nuit. People don't associate Nuit as being sexy. They always associate Babylon as being sexy. Is that, is, should Babylon be invoked there? Is Babylon on the altar? Well, I'd say the Mass invokes Nuit. We get the words from chapter one of the Book of the Law, so we're not invoking Babylon in the Mass. Mm. It doesn't mean she uh, doesn't have her place there or she doesn't show up but uh, I, the mass is not Babylon's ritual right. first and foremost. In my experience I have seen Babylon priestesses and Nuit priestesses and, and interpreted things that way but you don't always know that what the energy the priestess is projecting is is coming out that way it's always going to be filtered by your own perception. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember I was doing a mass once where I was having a very cosmic kind of meditation as I was doing my Nuit invocation where I was thinking of stars and galaxies and supernovas and the radiation in the universe and the nebula and all this, you know, this very space kind of meditation and really think of Nuit. And after the Mass, someone said, that was a great Mass. You were so Babylon. So that was totally not what I was going with. <laughs> but that was what they saw. Yes, there's a, this unspoken part where... Even though there's uh, the kind of energy the priest and the priestess are giving off and the deacon's giving off to uh, some extent too, that each person in the congregant also has their own energy. They're also part of the ritual. That I've noticed that being on the altar, I can feel different people come up, and you can see that. That mm -hmm. someone will come up and it'll be all smiles and joy and, and beauty, and you smile back at them. I'm just being empty, and I'm just kind of feeling like reflecting their energy back at them and someone else will come up and it'll be very calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I think about that when someone says, wow, that was a very hot mass, that was very Babylon, or that was so beautiful, that was, I really saw Nuit there, that I often try to think back, like, well, who was that really? Was that the priestess you were seeing and sensing or was that your own energy that you brought to the mass too? Mm -hmm. Or it could even be something else because uh, even as a priestess, what, I, what I'm going with might not be what comes through me that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might be working with the meat and I feel very Babylon or, you know, so it, they're, they're, it's always filtered through your own character. I'd also think it's worth noting that it's not like Babylon has the monopoly on sexual energy. No one says a priest is very Babylon if he looks very sexy. You know, it's, uh, you can have beast energy or theory on energy or he could just be a hot priest. And it doesn't mean Nuit is without sexual energy, because she is everything, and all the sex in the universe happens inside Nuit. But, you know, it, it, everything, you know, Nuit is everything. You know, she is the infinite possibility. 
And uh, that is very sexy. Your, all your potential lovers that are going to come after today are inside Nuit, if you have them. All that's spinning in there, just kind of waiting to manifest. So there's lots of sexual energy inside Nuit. Well, I like that. A lot of people don't seem to connect a lot of sexuality to Nuit. They connect it to only Babylon. There's nothing sexier to me than the night sky. She is my first love, and she'll be my last. Does Babylon have a role in Osignaz? She's in the creed. So is uh, Baphomet. Do they have roles in the? No, I I, I would say that it's not their ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it doesn't mean they're not there. They're part of the Lima, but we're just not focus focusing on them in this ritual. Um, there's other rituals for them. You do, or you can make a ritual for them, but just. We're dealing with Nuit Hadid and Rahor Kuit in the Gnostic Mass. And Nuit and Hadid specifically. Mm-hmm. Although I would say, for me, it's Babylon's cup. So that's one of the ways she's kind of subtly there. When we drop the particle into the cup in the Mass, for me it's very much giving your last drop of blood to Babylon. That would be my own mystical interpretation, and it's not necessarily correct. Thank you very much for sitting and talking with me about your experience in the... Uh the EGC, um, and uh, a little bit about the Gnostic Mass. More about Babylon and her dark energy. Okay. Speak about Babylon and her dark energy. How is she dark? She gets everything in the end. I do see her as an eternally hungry goddess. Really? Yes. Like the, the black hole? That, that uh... She devours everything? You lose light in the black hole. She even I don't know if I quote, that sounds a little overly dramatic for Babylon, but yeah, she's, uh, I think she kind of... I don't of, know, I think Babylon's well, dramatic. Well, Babylon, I'd say the concept of annihilation is important with Babylon. And she, I think a black hole works with annihilation. Well, we don't know what happens on the other side, my sister. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> infinitely long and infinitely massive is not Babylon. Um, but the, as the continuing knowledge from generation unto generation goes through this idea of evolution of Babylon, that does mean the old generation has to die and has mm. to get dissolved mm-hmm. into their cup. Mm-hmm. And uh, the death that's implied there is very strong, and, the, and your existence will just go poof in the particle of dust. When you look at memories of humanity, how long do you really have that you'll be remembered? Probably for most of us, two generations at best. Oh, that that's everything. That's that's how much time you have beyond your incarnation, and I don't think Babylon is a fan of reincarnation. She gets everything, including your upcoming incarnations. I I just don't see that as part of her thing. It's, her style is much more oblivion. And she, if you give her everything, she gets all your previous incarnations. She gets all your aspirations. She gets your legacy. She's a brilliant ego buster. Hmm. No, that was really powerful. I, I just, I'm stuck on your, your words about how long are we remembered and that as an individual, you really, the human memory will only be a couple of generations and then we're, for the most part, forgotten mm-hmm. or rewritten if you have the great chance of being rewritten. Well, so say this uh, young woman comes to you, comes to the next open meetup or Mm -hmm. class at William Blake Lodge or your local body. Do you have any advice for someone who is thinking about joining the OTO or Thalema or has seen something about the Gnostic Mass online? Do you have any words for her? 
First thing, I think it's important for women if they can find someone who will go bring a friend mm-hmm. that will do wonders to help their comfort level. Even if your friend is not interested in the OTO, it's like high school. You invite girls in pairs <laughs> in high school to like meet and dances. <laughs> but no, I, I think that really does matter. Just just bring a friend. Find your friends and, and like, hey, friend, I'm going to check out this weird thing. Come along with me. Um, so that's first thing. I'd say um, give us a chance. And if you have questions, don't be afraid to ask them. Because a lot of times, uh, you know, it could be intimidating to figure out what you even want to ask. But if you do ask someone questions, make sure they're a person who has some level of authority in the body, like the body master or one of the body officers. Well, that was all really great. Thank you very much. Uh, that You're was, welcome. Those are some really new perspectives. I'm definitely going to go home and think about uh, Babylon. But I really like the, the black hole part. I'm going to think about that. Well, Ta Asteria, thank you very much for meeting with me. This was very interesting and a lot of fun. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. The opinions expressed during this interview were those of the individuals and not necessarily those of the Ordo Templi Orientis. Thank you for listening to Stooping Starlight. Love is the law. Love under will. Bechath, Velvalum, Abigni. This is the secret of the Holy Grail, that is the sacred vessel of Our Lady, the Scarlet Woman. Babylon, the mother of abominations, the bride of chaos, that rideth upon our Lord, the beast. Thou shalt drain out thy blood, that is thy life, into the golden cup of her fornication. Thou shalt mingle thy life with the universal life. Thou shalt keep back not one drop. Then shall thy brain be dumb, and thy heart beat no more, and all thy life shall go from thee. And thou shalt be cast out upon the midden, and the birds of the air shall feast upon thy flesh, and thy bones shall whiten in the sun. Then shall the winds gather themselves together, and bear thee up, up as it were, a little heap of dust in a sheet that hath four corners, and they shall give it unto the guardians of the abyss. And because there is no life therein, the guardians of the abyss shall bid the angels of the winds pass by, and the angels shall lay thy dust in the city of the pyramids, and the name thereof shall be no more. This is the secret of the Holy Grail that is the sacred vessel of Our Lady, the Scarlet Woman. Babylon, the mother of abominations, the bride of chaos, that rideth upon our Lord the beast. Thou shalt drain out thy blood that is thy life into the golden cup of her fornication. Thou shalt mingle thy life with the universal life, thou shalt not keep back one drop. Then shall thy brain be dumb, and thy heart beat no more, and all thy life shall go from thee, and thou shalt be cast out upon the midden, and the birds of the air shall feast upon thy flesh, and thy bones shall whiten in the sun. 
Then shall the winds gather themselves together, and bear thee up as it were a little heap of dust in a sheet that hath four corners, and they shall give it unto the guardian of the abyss. And because there is no life therein, the guardian of the abyss shall bid the angel of the winds pass by. And the angel shall lay thy dust in the city of the pyramids, and the name thereof shall be no more. Now therefore that thou mayest achieve this ritual of the Holy Grail, do thou divest thyself of all goods. Thou hast wealth, give it unto them that have need thereof, yet no desire toward it. Thou hast health, slay thyself in the fervor of thine abandonment unto Our Lady. Let thy flesh hang loose upon thy bones, and thine eyes glare with thy quenchless lust unto the infinite, with thy passion for the unknown, for her that is beyond knowledge, the accursed one. Thou hast love, tear thy mother from thine heart, and spit in the face of thy father. Let thy foot trample the belly of thy wife, and let the babe at her breast be the prey of dogs and vultures. For if thou dost this not with thy will, then shall we do this despite thy will, so that thou attain to the sacrament of the grail in the chapel of abominations. And behold, if by stealth thou keep unto thyself one thought of thine, then shalt thou be cast out into the abyss forever, and thou shalt be the lonely one, the eater of dung, the afflicted in the day of be with us. Yea, verily this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. Unto thee shall be granted joy and health and wealth and wisdom, when thou art no longer thou. Then shall every gain be a new sacrament, and it shall not defile thee. Thou shalt reveal with the wanton in the marketplace, and the virgins shall fling roses upon thee, and the merchants bend their knees and bring thee gold and spices. Also young boys shall pour wonderful wines for thee, and the singers and the dancers shall sing and dance for thee. Yet shalt thou not be therein, for thou shalt be forgotten, dust, lost in dust. And this is the wrath of God, that these things should be thus. And this is the grace of God, that these things should be thus. Wherefore I charge you that they come unto me in the beginning, for if thee take but one step in this path, thee must arrive inevitably at the end thereof. This path is beyond life and death, it is also beyond love, but that thee know not, for thee know not love. And the end thereof is known not even unto Our Lady, or to the beast whereon she rideth, nor unto the Virgin her daughter, nor unto Chaos her lawful lord, but unto the crowned child. Is it known? It is not known, if it be known. Therefore unto Hadith and unto Nuit be the glory in the end and the beginning, yea, in the end and the beginning. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Great. <laughs> I'm good. So another podcast, another Karasora segment. Last time was uh, really great and we've had some really good feedback. Yes, we did. Um, mm. I was surprised to see, well, I, I was expecting to see at least one priest to contact us and tell us what how it was with uh, the whole relationship between a man and the role of a priest but mm. i'm still 
very hopeful towards that. I hope that at some point we are going to get uh, that kind of information. Yeah, I mean, we we did have one um, one listener email in uh, a sort of sort of written a more emotional aspect of it. I think on our Facebook page. But if you're out there and you are uh, identify as male um, and and take on the role of priest or have thoughts about the role of priest, do feel free to contact us or go to our Facebook page and um, start a discussion. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So today. Um, we're talking about Scarlet Woman. Yes, we are. Yeah. Mm. Now this is um, this is an interesting. I have to ask you as a um, as you reasonably new um, to the whole thing. Um, what what are you? What were your first thoughts about the Scarlet Woman? Well, there's been a lot of well, not confusion, but I've been trying to separate the definition of Babylon from the Scarlet Woman. Um, try to understand their dynamic too. And from my understanding, the Scarlet Woman is a physical representation of Babylon. Hmm. She was given, well, it was a title that was given by Crowley to 11 women. Hmm. Basically, they're his uh, priestesses. Hmm. I find it really interesting because it's, um, it, there's a hard, there's a fuzzy line in the community uh sort of between scarlet woman and babylon scarlet woman is an office babylon is a deity i think we'd we'd be the standard definition of it but i also see scarlet woman as being um having having its own little separate personality as well apart from just being babylon uh, and the office of babylon um, the embodiment of babylon the vessel uh, I also see it as a, as, as a, a definitely a more um, um, hmm. I, that's really hard. It's really hard bit to explain because I see Scarlet Woman, the office of Scarlet Woman, not only as the carnal flesh like, um, yeah, flesh like incarnation. It, it, it's it's not so much about sex as it is about being straightforward and open and honest. And, um, yeah. Hmm. Well, from my understanding, it was also women that helped Crowley attain a certain enlightenment. So from my understanding, it's more of a support role towards the priest in this case. That is hmm. the dynamic that yeah. is in place. Um, and I also find interesting that we use the term office for the Scarlet Woman. Hmm. Um, I'd be curious, why did the term office? Why do, you, why do we use that term? Why do we use the term office? I, th- I think Crowley uh, talks about it, that he that he sees, um, because obviously the first time we hear about the Scarlet Woman in a, in Thelema as such, I mean, it's a Christian concept, it's taken from the Bible, the, the whole Scarlet Woman, uh, but as a, as a Thelemic um, concept, we see it more as a... Um, um, it, it, it's from the Book of the Law, and Crowley explains. He said he says that as he can see, um, the Scarlet Woman is changeable. The Beast, is, as he represented the Beast, um, this is also interesting that we we have lots of Scarlet Woman, but we only have one Beast. And as far as I know today, there's not a lot of men who go around saying, "Oh, I've taken the oath of the Beast, and oh, I've become the Beast," etc. I think it's possible for everyone to take the oath of the Beast and, and take the office of the Beast, but. 
but you have a lot of women who go around, oh, I've taken the oath of Babylon and I've become a scarlet woman. I find that really interesting, that, that it's a kind of a badge of honour in some ways. I found that really interesting. Um, but, but no, so Crowley talked about it and said that as far as he could see, it was just, it, it was just him as the beast, but that the Scarlet Woman is exchangeable um, because of her function at the time. So the beast has a very uh, specific role. He's a Logos. He's the, he's the, you know, the bringer of, of, of the Aeon. But the Scarlet Woman has different purposes. So we have Rose Kelly who... Uh, was the inspiration from for the working in Cairo, and then you have sort of Viracam, who who's very um, there, you know, very very, um, you know, she's she's very practical, magical. Uh, we have Leah Hersig, who is uh, a releaser, you know. So the Scarlet Woman is different because she has different things to do. Now I don't know if it's a fault in Alistair Crowley's personality that meant he needed lots of different scarlet women or if it's just in our nature as humans uh, that we different you know different slots in our magical uh, career needs to be filled by different people I well as humans every time we go down a path we meet people along the ways that will help us attain our true will so hmm. Maybe a scarlet woman is not necessarily just a woman. In this case, considering the the social context of Crowley, it was a woman because of the power and dynamics that were in place at the time. But maybe a scarlet woman is basically anyone who helps you attain the light as a practitioner of mm. magic. Mm. Or maybe the scarlet woman, or, you know, is a is an office that is taken by the person that's needed at the moment. So yeah. Just like you say, I find that really interesting, and and maybe the. I think we need to start looking at these Osirian sort of language um, confinements as well, because the beast that doesn't have the beast man, <laughs> you know, and it has the Scarlet Woman. So maybe we should just. I I don't know if I like the concept the word scarlet woman. I think it's too confining. Well, it is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think it's too confining. Um, yeah. But I think it's mostly also the the question of context because it's always this the question of layers. It's how when you read something um do you take it on the first degree? For example, if we go just straight forward on the writings of the scarlet woman She's completely defined on her boundaries, um, as in written in Book of the Law in Chapter 3, Section 43 and 44. We talk about how she behaves and how and, and what she represents and all of that. So there is a box that can be applied mm. to the concept of Scarlet Woman. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think that there's there's the box, but isn't there that's that's valid for anything? I mean, we we have, uh, and I think rather as seeing it as as a mold that we press ourselves into, I'd rather see it as costumes that we put on, um, you know. So everybody has the opportunity to be a scarlet woman, male, female, however you identify, 
being a scarlet woman is not just um, that box that you put yourself in. It's a it's a costume that you put on and you play around. Exactly. With. As a feminist, the Salima has been um, challenging me a lot, and even with the concept of scarlet woman, because if we take just the first layer, there's only eleven scarlet women. Because they were, mm. it, because it was a title that was given by Alistair Crowley. It was a title that was given. Mm. It wasn't, mm. at that time, it, you, you couldn't necessarily, I guess, do an oath that will auto proclaim you as the Scarlet Woman. A bunch of this? No, not as such. I mean, the, 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 the women, I think if, if you hung out with Crowley and, and he uh, saw that potential in you, he would, he would, Probably have, um, I think we see with Leah Hirsig, for example, that he, he swears her in as a scarlet woman and they start a magical undertaking. And um, But there was nobody else going around doing it. But I, I'd like to come back to the sort of the, the sex bit of it, because I think that's a really important discussion mm-hmm. to have. Um, in um, Because the, the, the office of the scarlet woman is, has always, <laughs> it's we're a sex magical yes. order. That's, you know. That's the practicalities of it. So some at some point we have to talk about sex, and and it has to be said as well that we're not Puritans. You know, feminists <laughs> aren't. But I'm I'm not rude. <laughs> well, to each their own. There are some people who are rude, and some people who aren't, and there is all the range in between. But all all of that is as long as people respect their own boundaries. Yes, we are a sex magical order. Um, but it's important to always respect the boundaries of each other in this. Yeah. And but do you think, uh, does do the scarlet? That's that was my thing with the scarlet woman. That has always been this perceived outspoken. Oh, it's all about the sex thing, and it's about giving yourself up freely, etc. I, I don't I don't get that connection always. I don't always think that that's a valid thing. I mean, I think you see it a lot in women who are um, who are young and new and and kind of. In the in the early phases of their magical career, and I guess uh, that's again it's a society thing. It's it's about breaking s- norms and perceptions about sexuality and female sexuality. It's kind of claiming back and owning your body, and um, and I think I don't think that women who do this per se are actually wrong in themselves. I think what what is the issue is that when it becomes, again, when that becomes the norm and when that becomes what you do because, well, that's the way it is within the magical community. To me, Kalima, it, it is spiritual first, physical realm after. Mm. Mm. Again, we can go back to just reading the text and going very... Uh, we can just go and read it on the first layer of all the concepts. Um, she is a physical office of Babylon. Um, this is a sex magical order. And yes, if you go and start reading all the texts about Scarlet Woman, it just refers to a physical realm. Yeah. But, and that, oh, this is the point. There is not one word about sex in this. If you, if you le- read 43 and 44 in Liberal uh, chapter 3, 43 and 44, Uh, 44 specifically, but let her raise herself in pride, let her follow me in my way, let her work the work of wickedness, let her kill her heart, let her be loud and adulterous, let her be covered with jewels and rich garments, and let her be shameless before all men. Nowhere in there does it say 
let her have sex. Let her raise herself in pride. Nothing to do with sex. Let her follow me in my way. This is Rahul Kuit. This isn't, this isn't Nuit or Babylon saying this. This is Rahul Kuit. Let her follow me in my way. So let the Scarlet Woman be like Rahul Kuit. And I think uh, the term warrior priestess is really, really important here. Let her work the work of wickedness. That's nothing to do with sex. Uh, let her kill her heart. Nothing to do with sex. Let her be loud and adulterous. And yes, adulterous, I guess you could uh, you could interpret as a sexual form, but it doesn't say go out and have sex. Let her go out and have sex with everyone who asks for it. That is true. Um, that, but that's because people assume that sexual liberation means that you become available to everyone. Sexual liberation means that you do whatever you'd like and if whatever you'd like at that mm. point is to be by yourself or to just enjoy sensual moments and not sexual mm. or just to hang out mm. <laughs> yeah just to hang out just to hang out and sometimes sometimes hanging out can be more spiritual and more uh, stirring and more orgasmic Definitely. than sex um it always depends <laughs> on the moment but it's important to I guess, follow your own path in this. Um, I like 45 too. Um, it's the continuation of uh, 45.4. Then will I lift her pinnacles of power. Then will I breathe from her child, mightier than all the kings of the earth. I will fill her with joy. With my force shall she see and strike at the worship of Nu. She shall, she, she shall achieve Hadith. And I like this because it becomes... It kind of brings this more spiritual relationship to the dynamic between the beast and the scarlet woman. She becomes almost the the spark that will permit you to achieve your will. She becomes this hadith, this action, this point that will permit you to advance, evolve in your own spirituality. Mm, yeah. It kind of kind of brings us back to that uh, that other discussion in that um, that women um, the, the male female isn't isn't so much about physical sex um, your physical sex it is more about spiritual attitude and, and and attitude in the moment it's a really hard concept when you're not <laughs> when you're kind of working in a system that builds on levels of understanding and when you yourself is at a certain level of understanding you're kind of reaching out higher going I know there's something higher up here and I'm kind of grasping it but I kind of don't know what it is and that's the feeling I get a lot of the time when I talk about the female within Thelema and the female within magic is that there is something more to the female and there's something more to the scarlet woman there is something higher to the scarlet woman that I'm yet to to grasp I think when I read things about Babylon, about the scarlet woman, about the beast, I always try to bring it back to my own self. What do they represent in me? Or what do they represent in someone else? The same way, you know, the reflection and projection. Um, and this is why I was saying in the beginning, scarlet woman, it is, yes, it's, there is a term woman in there. But I don't think it only applies to someone who identifies as a woman. The Scarlet Woman and the dynamics of between Babylon, the beast, and the Scarlet Woman, I see it as 
the little push in the physical realm. It's the little thing that permits you to connect with the energy of Babylon, depending on the situation, obviously. But it's it's hadith at this point. Yeah, I think it's really important that that um, that both men and women um, experiment with the Scarlet Woman um, attitude, uh, and it's very much an attitude of. Um, I mean, if, if we, t- we we take on the ba- attitude of Babylon, the attitude of Babylon is for me uh, not so. Um, it's that of. The, the, I always think of it in my personal spiritual um, paradigm as kind of a queen of Sheba personality. You know, she goes out and out and gets what she wants, but she's also this big waiting, um, containing wisdom um, that has, that has Kings come before her. And, I, and that's how, kind of how I saw the Scarlet Woman as well, that the Scarlet Woman isn't this submissive little um, receptacle for the beast. In fact, she's this receiving, almost allowing, you know, allowing beast, the beast to be in her presence. Um, and that is so flip side to what, um, what has been the customary attitude towards women because let's face it the big question the big question and and again we get to this whole do i have to put out thing (laughs) yeah Do, uh, do do we actually um interpret these female feminine i'd like to say feminine rather than female i think that makes more sense um, these feminine attitudes and these feminine god forms, um, you know, have we come just to judge them by old aeon standards of what women were expected to be? Well, those expectations are still in place in our societies. I don't know about, well, I can talk about North America. Those, those expectations are still there. They're very, very subtle, um, but they are still there. And I find interesting the, the point that you brought because it's almost like Babylon is consent. She has the power to choose and to allow beasts within her. It is not taken from her. It is available. It is a consent. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that that's really... Because... A, a lot of the time, when we look at um, when we look at look at society attitudes toward women, and they bleed into the magical community, whether we like it or not, there is always the question about. And I, as I said, can't believe we have to have this discussion. That we have to have the talk about consent, and that it, this has to be raised, is actually making me really angry. That in the you know, we've, we're in this, we've accepted this concept of a new aeon, we've accepted this concept of, of a higher purpose, a great will, and yet we have to talk about whether it's okay to stick your tongue down the throat of a woman. Yep. Still. 
and it's it's um, maybe not as blunt as that, but at least we we have to talk about consent, especially when it comes to things like like scarlet women, and because there is a physical, like we said before, it's a, there is a physical element, there is the sex magical order thing, you know, we can't really get away from that. Then we have to really talk about consent and. Um, especially for for people who are first introduced into it, and I know there's a vetting process, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you never. But but I think it's inevitable that that at some point you have to to question yourself what your limits and boundaries. Yes, are. and there's different types of consent. I like to talk about enthusiastic consent, and mm, yeah. I think it's also very important because it's not because the person is saying yes. I mean, you can say yes, but all of your body language and energy is going, no, do not touch me. We, uh, I mean, we're not going to lie. We are humans. We're very, very complicated animals. Um, we have reason. We can think. We can evaluate. We can calculate. And we can decide. We do have such a thing called will. And that will isn't I want this. It's not about a thing. It's about something more profound. To me, sex is not just about physical contact. It's about energy. It's about welcoming the, uh, the, the energy of the other within you and creating this synergy between two people or more, if that's the case. But it's about feeding each other and 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 just exploring that. It's it's the whole inflame yourself with prayer thing. It's it really is that you have to be fully there and fully into and simple, um, you know, traditional magical standpoint. If you're not inflamed, if you're not enthusiastic and consenting. It won't work. <laughs> and and then we have the concept of agency. Agency is having all the information that you need as a person in order to make that enthusiastic consent. I need to know what are the boundaries. I need to know what happens afterwards. Like, if we do this ritual, am I going to get aftercare? Um, and the more I talk to people, the more I realize that not a lot of people are aware of the after part. That always worries me a bit, but everyone is different too. But I like the concept of aftercare, actually. I think that's a really good, that's a really good expression because I think sometimes um, that's also, if, if we look at mass, for example, I think this huge need for reflection and um, taking care between the priest and priestess, actually, and and maybe maybe we should see the office of Scarlet Woman and the office of Beast and and the the um, the duality that that brings if it's between two people because it might be between yourself and yourself, you know, those two. Um, sides inside you but if it's between two people and it's an agreement it's an you know um, if it's a if it's a thing happening then maybe we need to not just look at the stuff that we do but look at the 
what happens after. Maybe it's a contract. Maybe, you know, Scarlet Woman and the Beast are not so much um, titles to be yes. handed out, but it's a contract um, well, between maybe the two. Women on the pagan side of me, um, but when I hear priest and priestess of any kind of community or ritual, it comes with the responsibility of aftercare of the people that are involved in said ritual. Mm. And I think women are worse at this than men are because we are in culture, in, in external culture, trained and... We're also conditioned to think that emotions are something that you can put aside and not deal with it. When in fact emotions are just stuff that you will uh, th that you will feel and if you take the time to feel them completely you'll discover something about you in this and in order to become the scarlet woman this very powerful image of a person that has all the agency that she can have in order to become available to anyone because it is her will you can get to that point by taking a moment to analyze yourself. And I think it's very, very important to take that moment. We often just jump into something and we forget ourselves in this. And not everyone is able to just shake it off and stand up again. Sometimes you need to just stop. And I find that in our society, we were often just pushed over a cliff. Yeah. I find that interesting posed together with... Um... If if we go back to the book of the law, the, the chapter three verse 40, 43, um, then it says, "If pity and compassion and tenderness visit her heart," um, I think that's really important not to confuse that with care for oneself and care for your tools. If if we're gonna if we're gonna be really brash and really crass, you know. Taking care of yourself and taking care of, of your ritual team or your uh, circle or your congregation has nothing to do with pity and compassion or tenderness. So if we're all just, uh, even if we're all just imaginations of our deluded minds, um, we still have a um, responsibility toward ourselves to make sure that the environment we are in is as beneficial and well-functioning as possible for ourselves there's nothing necessarily to do with compassion and tenderness although i think that compassion and tenderness does have a room in thelema it does have a place in thelema um but it, it is also about self um self-preservation uh, and and making us as efficient and um and well-performing Ritualist you can't well perform if you don't know your own boundaries, that's for sure. I think women in the occult or in, in the pagan circles, we're often too self... Um, uh, how do you... This is, this, is, this is funny. There's a specific Swedish word for it. Uh, well, self-eradicating. That we're very um, apologetic and very... Uh, and overly, I think, sometimes... Um, accommodating and sometimes I, I think that's why the, the Scarlet Woman office is as described in the book of the law is so um, harsh maybe is that 
it's to balance that out and it's to, to help us look at ourselves as well. It's to help us take care of number one. Um, taking care of the humans around us is, well, important as well. But I think, in my interpretation is, anyway, that, that Crowley and, um, if you believe so, uh, Rahul Kurt is telling you that you need to be as efficient at all as you can be because if you don't work and if you don't um, if if you're not prepared if you're not taking care of yourself then you can't you can't function as a magician you can't function as a person either mm, exactly it's really interesting I, I find the Scarlet Woman has been so um... well she's been very very hyper sexualized too just like any other feminine concept, if I can say. Um, it is a sex magic order. You have to expect hypersexualization. But I do think that women just need to reappropriate those concepts. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really, I mean, it's really important also that we, we make this clear because we, uh, one of the. Um, not criticism, but one of the comments I've had is that they say you describe yourself as a radical feminist, um, and that has really negative connotations to um, hating men, hating penises, uh, <laughs> burning brass, all that. And and <laughs> but I, but I really want to <clears throat> one thing I really want to do for for um, because I guess you would call me a third wave feminist if you if you took you know. If you cut me down and separated out all my little bits, uh, I guess that's where a bit. But I like the word radical feminist because, and I want to own it. I want to reclaim it, damn it, uh, because I like the way it 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 states clearly, just like you know, um, that that I'm proud of of criticizing and challenging norms. I am not afraid to speak out when I see something that I think is um, is denigrating or insulting or um, or generally, you know, pandering to insecurities. I think it's um, I, I really I'd really like to own that word. I think otherwise we um, we get too scared of sounding. Um, sounding aggressive, which sometimes we need to be. Sometimes we do need to be aggressive in our feminism. If we bring it back to Thelema, if you take just a quick look at how women are portrayed in this, and you're a woman, and then you see all of those boxes that are specifically to women, and I still find it I still feel we need to, to reclaim what womanhood is in Thelema. Because officially, a priestess can only be someone with a vagina. The, the priestess cannot be someone who identifies as a woman. Well, about this debate, the learned, as you'd say <laughs> in Swedish. Um, <laughs> because as long as you identify as female, then you're fine to be a priestess in the EGC. Officially? But you have to... Yep, but you have to pick one and stick with it. Oh, so so you can be a person who identifies, for example, as a two-spirited. No, see, they're in debate. <laughs> Lies the debate, I think. And I think that's a debate that, for me, is very much open and needs to be had on a much bigger scale 
than it already has been. But I, but I, but if you, if you identify as female, uh, no matter your physical makeup, you can uh, take the officer's priestess. Because the thing about gender that, well, pisses me off clearly is that we reinforce all the stereotypes about it. The Scarlet Woman, the Beast, Babylon, all of those archetypes. We are still reinforcing gender stereotype with them. Yeah, because I don't mind. I don't mind the stereotype. I don't mind the the Babylon, the Beast, the Scarlet Woman. What I mind is that um, we're yet to somehow realize that it is all within us. This is what Baphomet is. This is what Baphomet mm-hmm. is. Baphomet is the joining and the new expression of this ungendered being, or multi-gendered being, full-gendered, pan-gendered being, <laughs> as Baphomet is. You know, horns and boobs. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, I wish we could work much more with that drive <laughs> towards that union. That It's beautiful. I get I get a little bit teary when I think about it. <laughs> Instead well, it's understandable of... because you, you clearly accept that stereotypes aren't there and that the same way that you can tap into this so-called feminine energy, masculine energy, you can work it through yourself. And yes, having a discussion, an open discussion on how uh, you can pick a gender and stick to it is a step towards this, uh, towards that discussion. But I think it, that within those discussions, it's also important to keep in mind that not everybody identifies with those gender anymore. Um, there are several countries that actually have an official third gender. And I think it's important to stop, well, not completely stop talking about gender because it's a, it's a transition, but to realize that humans are unique in their own capacities. That it's not because I have boots and a vagina that it makes me strictly a woman in the box type of way. It doesn't make me a receptacle. It doesn't make me anything than whoever I want to be. Yeah. And I think we'll discuss gender more and and especially that union of gender uh, in the next episode when we're going to talk about, uh, it's called My Secret Center, which will be more about uh, the individual. We we talked about you know the official roles, the 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 big sort of headline types um, in the OTO that is related or still not related that is associated with women. And and in the next episodes and the forthcoming, I really want to focus on forgetting that that has the label woman on it. So I really want to focus in on not um uh on on forgetting those physical genders yes Mm. that is going to be very very interesting yeah i'm really looking forward to it this is this is becoming a a really nice engine for for bringing up these things and uh again i'm very grateful for um for all the debate that's been uh going on and any opinions uh, for you listeners out there you're very welcome um, to debate them on our Facebook page and on our website. So with that, I say thank you. Well, thank you. Love is the law, love under will. 
And so we conclude our podcast. We hope you have enjoyed it and we'll see you back at the Equinox of the Gods for the New Year episode, My Secret Centre. Love is the law, love and a will.